pure milk of the word, you, you know, what he declared, if I understand this right, I'll say it this way. He says in 1 Peter 2, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Now let's stop right there. He may have been writing to people that were 70 years old in age. Let that impact you in the natural. Who knows what age the people, of course, he's writing to the whole body of Christ. But when he wrote it in that day, he may have been speaking to people of any age group in the natural. From a teenager to 70 or 80, 90 years old. He says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so, you know, and and here's the caveat, if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So before you can desire the sincere milk of of the word, you have to taste that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So right, right as he says, desire the sincere milk of the word, he brings in view the temple of God. We, we thought maybe that was the deep part of the word. But Peter brings into view the temple of God wherein you're built up. A living stone. You're built up on the stone, but you're built up lively stones. A spiritual house. A holy priesthood. So in the milk of the Word, in the basic understanding, in the foundation of Christ, you should understand you are the temple of the living God. That God's not after a temple made with hands. In fact, Paul went to those at Mars Hill... And he said, the, un- the unknown God, I declare unto you. He said, and he tells them, if I understand it, they're pagans. They're not even believers. He says that God is not worshipped by man's hands. Neither does he dwell in temples made with hands. So he's declaring that reality to unbelievers. That God desires a house to dwell in. And this house that He desires is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And as you're built in this foundation, you are a stone in the building. In the building of God. In the habitation of God. And a holy priesthood. Wherefore, also is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, a light precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them who stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Glory to God! Out of darkness and into. See, you're not just called out of darkness. You're called into light. And not just any light. His marvelous light. Man alive, what a place we're called to. Like the children of Israel, they're called out of Egypt. We get all excited, we come out. And people have for years, I come out of sin. I come into light. And that's a focus point, what I've come into. Not just what I've come out. I've come into understanding. I've come into truth. I've come out of darkness. But I've come into truth. I see truth in the person of Jesus Christ. See, truth ain't nowhere else. Understanding's nowhere else. Knowledge is nowhere else. Wisdom's nowhere else. It's all wrapped up with the person we have to do with the Lord Jesus Himself. And that's the person we have to do with. And that's the ministry God has given us. He's given us this ministry that we faint not. What ministry? You're you're a ministry, he says. You're a priesthood. A priesthood's a ministry. Hey, he doesn't say the preacher's a priesthood. He says you are. Amen. Amen. So so Peter's preaching to the whole church, or writing to the whole church. Probably preached it to him too. But he's writing to the church. He says you are a priesthood. But if I don't comprehend what I'm a priesthood of, which we were in last week and we're moving on in again this morning, if I don't comprehend that, Barbara, I can't be an effective in the operation of what God has placed in my heart. Amen. I'm going to be effective in the measure I comprehend. It's like being a mechanic, ain't it, Brother Wayne? If I only know how to take off a tire, I can't be effective adjusting a motor. Because I don't comprehend it, I don't understand it, I don't, I'm not aware of it. And it's like that in everything we do in life, you know, it, it, the natural is, is, Shadowing always the spiritual or the heavenly. Always is. So the effectiveness of Christ is measured in us as He's revealed in us. And that's how it works. 
If I don't have much light of Him, I may have Him in me. But if I don't have much light of Him, I can only be effective in what I have. Now, I say, well, I have the fullness of Jesus Christ. But I have to comprehend, understand, come to a, 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 an acknowledgement, an awareness of what He has done. Amen. That's what I have to come to. And, you know, turn to Revelation chapter 1. We, we've been in there for a long time. We'll probably be in there for several more, more weeks or maybe a few more months before we move on. But in Revelation chapter 1, and the verse 20 is the main emphasis. I've read the whole, the, much of it over and over and over again. And I turn to see. I turn, John saw a turn, he heard a voice. Yes. And he turned his heart to the voice to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw. Listen to just that simple part. I turned to see. And I saw. When when John turned to see, he saw. Seven gold candlesticks. And the gold is speaking of His divine nature. And what made the seven gold candlesticks gold was what was in the midst of them. That's what makes them gold. Is in the midst of the seven gold candlesticks is the Son of Man. And I, I, I believe this is the most significant part of this whole book is right here. In the midst of the seven candlesticks is the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the foot, hair white as wool, eyes as a flame of fire, feet of brass, burning in a fire. Out of His mouth a two-edged sword, His countenance as the sun. So the light that you see by is His countenance. And John fell, and when I, he said, and when I saw, I fell at His feet. When I saw, yes. I fell at His feet as dead. He laid His right hand on, up on me, John said. And He says, write thou what thou seest. So He's dealing with a seeing of the Lord. That's what revelation is, a sight. So the book of Revelation is a book of sight, a book of seeing, a book of understanding of the Lord. And so here we come to the comprehension of this garment, of this priest, a greater priest than Aaron, a greater priest than Levi. And when we come to that reality in our hearts, I'm telling you, man, there's a reality of His priesthood to be known in our hearts. 
Because there's an awareness to be realized by the body of Christ of what He did. Of what He accomplished. And for people to declare what He's accomplished in the earth. To the church. To the lost. That all may come to the knowledge of the Son of God to a full-grown man. So I have to see what He's done. And that's not just a... It's not a natural seeing, it's a spiritual comprehension of Him. It's a, it's a apprehending, as Paul declared in one place, that I might apprehend that or comprehend that for which he apprehended me of. But flipping over to 2 Corinthians 3, to kind of stay in, in this, uh, dealing with this ministry, 2 Corinthians 3, 7, says, But if the ministration of death, and this word ministration, I believe, and I'm going to look it up, I believe it may mean ministry. I think the Amplified uh, calls it ministry. It means attendance, figuratively, aid, service, especially of Christian teacher or technically of Diaconate, ministering. So if the ministering of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, for the glory was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. So you stop here and you think that the ministry of death was a ministry of death, written and engraven in stones. And it was glorious. So we stop right there. And then you come to verse 8. How shall not the ministry, another King James says ministration, but the ministry of the Spirit be rather glorious or more glorious? So the ministry in stone was glorious. But that glory was going to fade away, just like the glory upon Moses' face faded away. It was temporary. Get that? They, when he came down from the mountain, they couldn't stand to look upon his face, so they put a veil on his face, so they couldn't stand the brightness of his face. But it was fading away, even as they were looking at the face of Moses. It was fading away. What he's saying is, this doesn't fade away. The ministry of the Spirit's not fading away. It exceeds the ministry of death. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth or exceeds. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use such great plainness of speech, and not as Moses which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Not as Moses, we don't have a veil. We don't have a veil on our face that you can't look on. Yeah. It's been unveiled. 
Verse 13, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13. It's unveiled, but their minds, and he goes back to their minds were blinded, for unto this day remains the veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is where? Upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, the heart, shall turn to the Lord, that's what John was describing in the book of Revelation, I turn to see the voice. The veil shall be taken away. Amen. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from what? From the law. From sin and death. Amen. Freedom from all that was under the first covenant. To behold, that, but we all with an open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord changed into what we see. By the Spirit of the Lord. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. So this is the ministry that's given. And it exceeds Aaron. Moses and the law. It exceeds it. Because why? Why does it exceed it? Because through the law is the knowledge of sin. The law made no man righteous. That's why it exceeds it, because the law was holy and just, the Bible declares. So again, I'm not against the law. It was holy and just. But it was the knowledge, but through it was the knowledge of sin. There wasn't a knowledge or an apprehension, a comprehension of righteousness through the law. It was their own works. Man's works to be righteous. And yet, a continual remembrance made that you couldn't be righteous. Couldn't enter into it. Because it had no completion. Had no end. During that time, there was no end. It was a continual remembrance made every year of sin. But Jesus, when He made one offering for sin, forever sat down saying it is finished. It is complete. I finished the work Thou givest Me to do, He says. So it's a ministry from that comprehension of what He finished 
that by one offering He hath perfected, Hebrews 10, 14, He hath perfected forever. He hath perfected them that are sanctified. This word sanctified means consecrated, purified. Purified from the sins that were according to the first or according to the law. Purified from them. He hath perfected forever. See, this is the this is the ministry that, that the Apostle Peter is talking about when he says you're a royal priesthood. You're a priesthood after the offering of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now this this falls in the slaps almost every slaps us all almost in the face what the writer writes here for by one offering he perfected because he, the confession of her mouth most of the time is that well not perfect he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified now you have to balance it out with what Paul writes to the Philippians he says not as if I was perfect but this one thing I do. He sees perfection in Christ. He's pressing toward the mark for the prize of what's in Christ. That's what Paul, you know, I'm not going to flip there today, I don't think, but that's what Paul is dealing with, is what has been done in Christ. But see, see, 2 Corinthians 3 is bringing you again out of the law. For the law can make, just like Hebrews is, the law could make nothing perfect. Right? We've read that over and over again. The law can make nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. So what Jesus represents is a better hope. Hallelujah. So, so, so we get built up in the knowledge of Him. We have in ourselves the reality of what He's done. That's what God's after, that in you, you have this reality. That you don't live in guilt consciousness. I, I would love to go whoom. And that'd be it. It won't work that way. Because it's all in the comprehension of Christ. And if I comprehend the offering He made, it'll work. Because it's in the comprehension of Him. So if I give my heart to know what He did as the high priest as of the confession of her faith, there will be a knowing that comes in my heart 
that I am free from sin through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. I'm free from it. Free from its penalty, Barbara. It doesn't have any penalty on me because of Him. Not because of my righteousness, not because of my goodness, but because of what He's done. And that's what God said in His Word. He said that, and we've read it over and over, Thy sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So if He remembers them no more, and I've said this before, the issue comes into us remembering them. As God says, He doesn't remember them, but do I? Am I conscious and aware? Am I sin conscious? Brother Stanley talked about it for years, being sin conscious. And there's and if I could draw it on the board, if I had a little board, I'd draw sin conscious and Christ conscious. The law created sin consciousness. The spirit creates Christ consciousness. Which is a whole different consciousness. Because Christ consciousness brings an awareness of a new creation created of God in Christ Jesus. A new man. That God is glorified in. Not an old man that fell short of the glory of God, but a new man in which God is actually glorified in. Now that's the two differences. If I I could say it this way, in the old covenant is sin consciousness. So every time the high priest came and put on a garment, his garment, he come in and he sacrificed for himself and for the people. He went and took it off, put back on the old garment, and did his priestly function. Jesus did it one time. Sacrificed, Hebrews says, for himself and for the people one time. Boom. And when He did it one time, He perfected forever. How long's forever? Ever. Them that believe. So, so what's going to change my conscience? The knowledge of Him. That's what's going to change my conscience. Because if I stay in the knowledge of the old, my conscience will remain, even though He's perfected it, darling, it will remain according to the old. And the old will say, I'm a sinner. The new will say, I'm a new man. Would you rather be a sinner or a new man? Amen. Which one would you rather be? Amen. Get up every day and say, I'm a sinner. Or get up and say, I'm a new creation created of God in Christ Jesus. Let me understand the creation I am. I'd rather be a new creation created of God in Christ Jesus. That's a better hope. Because the old hope was one time a year the high priest is going to come 
everything's going to be good. One time a year, He'll come. and So I might live, you know, the very next day, I guess I'll mess up and break down and I have to wait for that one time a year for the high priest. You know, I can take my offering to the, to the house of God and offer it up. You, you know, if I realize I committed a sin according to the law, but I couldn't be perfect. So as soon as the high priest finished, he's going to come again next year. Because this is the comprehension. It's like someday. Everything is out there somewhere, somehow, Sister Shirley. No, it's the comprehension of Him. It's not out there. It's Him. That's the inside. And comprehending Him that's inside and the work that He did in the death, burial, and resurrection. And that He sat down forever on high, on high, higher than everything, a greater name than everything. The high priest doesn't have a name like he has. That nothing's going to bow to the old priesthood. It's all going to bow to the work he did. It's settled. It's done. It's finished. And God's people don't, for the most part, don't understand that. That, that His work completed forever your soul. His work. Because it brought me into my completion. And Apostle Paul gets a hold of his completion and says, you're complete. In Christ. So he brings them to where they're complete at. You're complete. Made full. Everything you could hope for is found in Him. You believe that? Everything I can hope for is found in Him. See, see Christianity, not, not true Christianity, but religion of Christianity. Let me, let me rephrase this. Religion of Christianity has has talked about everything I could hope for as some special event. If I see the special event as the person of Jesus Christ being revealed, that's okay. But that's usually not what I see as the special event. See 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 the everything you could hope for is in him. So my desire now becomes, show me Jesus. Hallelujah. It's a pretty good desire. Pretty good place to come come to. My hope is in Him and what He's done. And And I love this, what I saw in Hebrews 13. I'm going to repeat a little bit of what I said last week, Hebrews 13. And some of the Scriptures I put down were from last week. But Hebrews 13, flip over there, verse 10. Hebrews 13, verse 10. It says, We have an altar. We have an altar. It's unlike that old altar, man. The old altar can't compare to this altar. And, and this is so powerful. And I've, I've read this so many times 
and, and it just jumped out of the book. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, eat which serve the tabernacle. That's a strong word. He's saying, if, he's saying and, and it was strong in that day because they were still serving the tabernacle. When Hebrews was written, they were still going and making offerings according to the old. And the writer says, we have an altar. That they which serve the tabernacle have no right to eat because they're serving a tabernacle that could never perfect them. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the camp, without the gate. And, and, I, and, I, and I read this and it just jumps off like a light that in that old camp, you know, why did they have to take the bodies of the beasts outside the camp? You ever, you ever really thought of it? Well, because Jesus was going to suffer outside the camp showing them that this system could never sanctify them or purify them. So they took the beasts outside the camp and burned it. Because their system could never sanctify them. And so here comes Jesus from a whole different tribe. He raises up of the tribe of Judah. So He never come, you know, if you read this whole book, He never come of the lineage of Aaron. He's not, he's not a Levite. So He's not according to the Levitical line, but He's the high priest after the order of an endless life. And He suffers outside the gate, showing that the salvation is outside the gate of that system. So in that system is no eternal life, no eternal salvation, no eternal security, no eternal hope. Glory to God, Jesus suffered outside the gate of the old system. And we go to Him outside the camp bearing His reproach. And man, they were bearing the reproach because those Jews in that day, they were killing them. wasn't just... Now the Romans may have put them to death, but the Jews were the ones saying, hey, kill them. Some of the Jews were doing it too, stoning them to death. Because they were loving Jesus instead of the law. And they were saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. You can read that in the book of Acts when they take Stephen out for example, in stoning. You read the book of Acts and they're wanting to kill on the Christians. Why? Because they're going to Jesus outside the gate. They're not running after the... They're not mixing the old covenant. In fact, when Peter separates from the Christians, <coughs> what does Paul do? He withstands him to the face. Says, you, you think you're righteous in this camp of the law? Peter? 
<laughs> no. You got to get outside the gate, son. For here we have no continuing city. See, I, I preached this so different years ago. <coughs> For here we have no continuing city. Where? Where's he talking about we have no continuing city? In the law, in the old covenant. But we seek one that is to come. It's coming in the revealing of Christ. It's coming through the high priest of our hope and our perfection. See, if you, t- if you take it in context, that's what he's talking about, that in the law, in the camp, there's no continuing city. And see, I preach this, that we have no continuing city. We're waiting on the city to come. Well, it makes no sense because the chapter before says... You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. So if you just read the chapter before, he says you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Not you're coming, but you have come. So if I read the chapter before, and I understand what he's talking about, we go to Jesus outside the gate, we have no continuing city. We're looking for that city which is to come. It's come through Christ. It's an eternal city coming through God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the high heavenly place of the Lord, Mount Zion. Amen. Amen. So, let us go I want, to Him outside the gate. I want to look up this Word. One to come. The actual word means, this strong, according to Strong's Dictionary, through the idea of expectation. The idea, through the idea of expectation to attend, that is, be about to be, do, suffer something, about, after that, be, which was for, to come, intend, be at the point, ready. So it doesn't necessarily mean something futuristic. It's dealing with the city that's coming through Christ. Now now flip back to chapter 12. And this is what I'll show you. Chapter 12. Verse 22. And he's laying out two, two places here, two mountains. One is Mount Sinai. And he goes through Mount Sinai and he says, you've not come there. But you have come. You have come to what? Mount Zion, the city. The city. Now you're going to come to a city someday. You have come to the city of the living God. Remember what Peter says, you are a holy people. A holy nation. You're the nation of God. See, nation of God is not a Jew according to the flesh. The nation of God are those of the Spirit. I'll just be plain, that's the nation of God. 
all those of the Spirit are the nation of God. And how you get to Mount Zion is through the Spirit. And it's the city of the living God, the people of the living God. Glory to God. Behold, I lay in Zion. So when you come to that rock of offense that's laid in Zion, guess where you came to? He said, I lay it in Zion. So if I come to that rock of offense, it's named Jesus, and he laid Jesus in Zion, guess where I came to? I came to Zion. I left Sinai. I left the old, and I came to the new, which is Mount Zion, and as I comprehend Him, I live in the city of the living God. And it has nothing to do with a natural physical location. It has everything to do with the person of Jesus Christ. And the writer here says it calls it the heavenly city. So you can get even further out here. Mount Zion, the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. Heavenly. You can look up this word too. Heavenly, it means above the sky. You've come above the sky. That's what it means. If I took it, if I read it down literal, according to the Strong's, it means above the sky. Celestial. Yes. You've come to the celestial. Yes. It gets over into 1 Corinthians, what, 15? There are bodies terrestrial, natural, and there are bodies celestial. You've come to the celestial. See, in Adam, you come to the terrestrial because you were born in Adam according to the flesh. In Christ, you come to the Celestial. Heaven. Wow. And two, an innumerable company of angels. That's something we have to figure out someday what he's, how, where all these angels that we've come to because said we come to them. Were that you've come to them, ask the Lord. You know, ask Him what He means. I've come to an innumerable company of angels. I'll leave it alone for right now. Give you maybe one little thing. Jesus said in the resurrection, "You shall be as what the." It's one of the translations, messengers. It's one of them. Ministers of salvation. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. See, every every bit of this has so much power. Firstborn from the dead. So he's not firstborn of the earth. He's firstborn from the dead. He raised from the dead. He's firstborn of the dead. 
which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men, here's this word again, made perfect. Because God judges you through Christ, perfect in this covenant. So that's why you had to go from Sinai to Zion. Because in Sinai, He showed every man through the law to be guilty. Here we're back at the two again. Every man guilty through the law. That none can say, I'm righteous. No. How many? Not one. Zero. And He concluded all under sin. What he says, Romans, he concluded all, every man, understand, that they could not be made perfect without us because the perfection came in through Jesus Christ. So we get perfect through the new covenant, through the better sacrifice, through the better priesthood, through the better city, through the better temple. Through the better relationship with God. God the judge of all. And this judgment is fantastic. Because now He judges you. He's still the God the judge. But He judges you through the work of Jesus Christ, not through your own work, not through the works of the law, your own works. He judges you through the works of Jesus Christ. Because He's your high priest. And He offered up Himself for you. And now He's judging you through Him. Glory to God. So my judgment is through my priest who offered Himself for me. And He was without spot. He had no blame. He didn't sin. He didn't commit fornication or adultery or even have a bad thought in His head. He had no spot, zero. And He took the body of death and crucified it. That we could come forth in the body of life and live. Now the old saying is, I'd like to just run through the church. Jump. I like to say jump through my skin. Because I see this by the Spirit of God. I see this in the person of Jesus Christ. I see it. And I want to know it. Every day. Well, live in it. Because this is, this is what He's ministering. That's what, that's what I'm saying. It's not a it's not a one-day-a-year event. It's a everyday reality in Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God doesn't stop shining, Sister Sherwood. It's not like Easter. It comes once a year. It's continual. It's continual, Brother Wayne. It's continuing to shine upon you.
Hallelujah. Questions? I've only been 49 minutes. I'm going to turn it off. Questions? Comments?